Thanks for joining us on this week's Real Life Church podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. We're glad that you're here and joining us. I want to give a big shout out to our team, our staff, our volunteers, our, our excuse me, our serve team uh, members. And uh, yesterday was a day of setup and training and uh, just done a magnificent job of preparing uh, our new location. So let's give them a big hand clap, everybody. They work really hard. Come on, don't patty cake. Don't patty cake. And uh, so we're going to continue our series today, Church in the Wild. We're going to finish it today. And then I'll be kicking off a new series next week on the subject of freedom. And uh, we're going to tackle that for the month of August. And uh, real excited about the back to school bash and uh, praying for kids and having just a big, big party here on the grounds. And so uh, pretty excited about it. And, uh, and so let's open up to the book of John today. John chapter 19. Uh, we're going to look at verse 28 through 30 this morning. And we're going to look at one of the last seven, seven sayings of Jesus in the scripture uh, this was the, the, the moment where he pronounced uh, one of, I think it was number uh, six was what we're going to read, and then he ended up saying it was finished. And um, today we're, we're continuing, again, part four of our series, closing it out. Today I'm calling it Water, Wells, and the Wild. Water, Wells, and the Wild. Let's read John chapter 19, verse 28 through 30. says this, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, but put it on hyssop and put it in his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Have you ever been thirsty before? I know I've been thirsty before, and, uh, you know, you try to drink things that kind of quench your thirst. You know, um, I'm a diet Dr. Pepper guy. I haven't had any since January. Uh, it, that means nothing, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not drinking diet Dr. Pepper, but I am eating brownies. Praise the Lord. And so, amen, we're working on that. And so, uh, but you know, when I'm thirsty, like you you feel parched and uh, you feel like anything can quench your thirst. So I'm a Diet Dr. Pepper guy, so I'll go to a nice, cold, uh, fresh Diet Dr. Pepper and I'll take a drink of it. And I might drink the whole can, but I'm still thirsty for some reason. And, 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 but if I'm parched and I drink water, how many like water? You know, you can, how many like to flavor their water? A little bit different, right? Uh, I can't just drink straight water all the time. Uh, I might add some, uh, some mayo or whatever that's called to it, especially the stuff with the caffeine. It really fires me up. And so uh, I have that. Uh, I don't do cucumber water. I don't do all the cute water. Put the little basil stuff in. I don't do all that. Uh, but I will do some, some of that. And, and the more you drink water, the more hydrated you are, the less you feel parsed and the less thirsty you are. And, and I was reading this text, and Jesus was at the end of his life, and so profound in this moment, because really this is the moment um, where he's on the cross, he's getting ready to die in this moment. And if you look at these two words, I thirst, literally in this moment, I felt like Jesus was reaching out. I felt like he was portraying something that all of us portray, that in the moment of thirst, we, we reach out, and he was reaching out to receive uh, a drink. What you have to understand is what they gave him was not a cool drink of water. 
locally there, what they would do is, is they went to the restroom in these little, uh, it was like a concrete toilet, and they had a, a, a stick there, and it had a sponge on the end of it. And what they did with that sponge was they cleaned the inside of the toilet. And so it says in Scripture that they took this device, and they dipped it in sour wine, and that is what they used to give Jesus a drink in his last final hours. But when I saw this passage and I started to think about thirst, I started to think about what he was identifying with. He was identifying with something that we all identify with, and that, that it's this, that everyone on planet Earth has a spiritual void that only God can fill. Every one of us, when we, when, we, when we live our lives and every person on the planet has this spiritual void, this spiritual thirst that only God can fill. We look for it in many different places to be filled. We look for it in many, in many places to be fixed, but ultimately the only thing and the only person that can fill the void on the inside of us is Jesus. He's the only thing that can come and deliver us and set us free. I'm going to read a passage out of Ecclesiastes 3.11, but before I do, the writer of Ecclesiastes was a guy by the name of Solomon. Solomon was actually the wisest man ever to live. God had a, a, a moment with him. God came to him and asked him, you can ask anything you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And wisdom created wealth for Solomon. He actually was a trillionaire. If you look at the dollar figures and you research Solomon's life, he was a trillionaire. That one revenue stream in Solomon's life equaled $1.5 billion, just one revenue stream in Solomon's life. Solomon was a very wise man. He was a very rich man. Um, he had 700 wives. What is wrong with this man? 700 and then he had 400 concubines as well. So he had servants. He had like 1,100 women around him. Well, that's a busy day. <laughs> and so Solomon had this, but he, he was the builder of the temple. Solomon's temple was, was gold. Uh, it, it was filled with gold, and, and it was plated with gold, real gold, not fake gold, not gold that turns your finger green, real gold. And it was real gold, and it was very expensive, and he built a temple, and it was called Solomon's Temple. He was a poet. He was a national leader. He was a man that seemed to have everything in his life that he needed. But at the end of his life, he's going to make a statement in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, but we're going to read Ecclesiastes 3.11. Here's what he says. He says, he, was, he has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. Listen to this next phrase. He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart. It is a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. He makes this profound statement, a man that has everything. He's a trillionaire. He has everything he needs. He has a temple that's made out of gold, and he's wise, and he's a national leader, and he has everything he needs. But for some reason in Ecclesiastes 3, he makes a statement that identifies not with the exterior of Solomon, but begins to identify with the interior side of Solomon, which identifies with every human heart on the planet. I thirst. 
See, Solomon might have had everything he needed in the, in the natural, but in the, in the spiritual and in his, the inside of him, he was a thirsty man. He said, God has placed this eternity, this sense of divine purpose. He said this, this next phrase, he says, yet man cannot find out, comprehend, grasp what God has done, his overall plan from the beginning to the end. Every person on the planet has eternity, a sense of divine purpose placed on the inside of them. It is a longing that only God can fill. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Come on, somebody. In other words, this world doesn't satisfy the thirst we have a spiritual void on the inside of us because God put this thing in us to be driven and have this sense of purpose and be planted in our hearts about eternity. So Solomon, at the end of his life, here's what he makes. He makes a statement in Ecclesiastes 2.10. He says, and whatever my eyes desires, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Verse 11, then I considered all that my hands had done. So here he is, he's on his, he's on, he's on his way out, and he's, he's rehearsing everything that he had experienced and everything he had. And he says, my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. And, I, I, and, and a striving after wind Verse 17, so I hated life. How can a man that has everything he needs in this world hate life? How can he get to the end of the world and have everything on the exterior like it's okay, but there's something on the inside of him that says all of this was vanity. The word vanity means empty or void of purpose. He said, I had everything on the exterior, but the spiritual void the place where I really thirst is not fulfilled. The place where I'm really thirsty, the place where I'm really empty is not being fulfilled. I hate life. Maybe you say today, Pastor, that's not you. Maybe that's not you. Maybe God has done such an amazing thing in your life and you go to him and he fills your life up and you're not thirsty for the things of this world. But I can tell you there is a planet that is thirsty. Jesus put this as the second to last saying of his life because he was identifying with a world that today is broken and lost and hurting and is thirsty. And the only thing that can fill the hearts of humanity and bring change in their life is a real encounter with a real God that answers real problems and makes us really, really free. Come on, somebody. And we are a church in the wild. God, here, here's the big idea for today is that God created us to reach thirsty people drinking from empty wells. God has created us to reach thirsty people drinking from empty wells. What are the wells? The approval of men, success, religion, fame, money, possessions, talent, looks, ability, human love, addictions, alcoholism, depression, anxiety. They're drinking from a different, they're drinking from a well that will never satisfy. And God has called us as church in the wild 
water wells and being in the wild that God has called us in this season that we are to go forth that he created us to reach thirsty people drinking from empty wells. Do you realize today that people are suffering in silence? The people that you walk by, the people that you live with maybe, the people that, that, are, that are at your work, the people that you encounter in society today are suffering in silence. Maybe you're in here today and you're suffering in silence. Maybe you've been drinking from a well that will never quench your thirst. See, because God created the well, he created the void, the spiritual void, and he created it for himself. The space in your heart that you've allowed everything else to come into that was created for God, God put that there, you're just misplacing the things that you think are going to fill the thirst that's in your life. We drink from wells that are, that are, that are of this world. And I'm gonna read a story this morning about a woman that was drinking from a well, that she was a woman that was suffering in silence. In John chapter four, this is a lengthy verse, so I'm gonna read it because it's lengthy. Come on, somebody. In John chapter four, in verse number four, it says this. Now, he had gone through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria, so Jesus knew he had to go through this place called Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar. Everybody say Sakar. Sakar. Say it with meaning. Sakar. Sakar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. The word Sakar means the end. He was coming to a place that meant the end. E-N-D. The place of its over. And here he goes and he, it says Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water at the place called the end. And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? What a selfish man he was, people say. No, this is the second time. This is prior to the end. This would be a moment where Jesus would simply, this was another way of saying, in the natural, I thirst. See, he says, will you give me a drink? And the Bible says his disciples have gone into town to buy food. That'd be me. I'd be gone. There he is. It says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask for me a drink? See, here, here's, here's the moment you have to understand. Samaritans, Jews, had no dealings with each other. Samaritans were considered outcasts. Jews were considered God's chosen people, and, and Jews did never deal with Samaritans. They would never interact with each other. So this was a very cross-the-line moment for Jesus. This woman didn't understand. I, I am coming to the end, and I'm at this well. I'm drawing natural water, and I'm here, and, 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 and there's this suffering in silence that this woman, you'll start to hear her talk about it, that she starts to reveal this place in her life where she has tried to fill the thirst with everything else but the water of living water. And then he, then he goes on to say this. He says, and the scripture says in verse 10, Jesus answered, sir, her, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. So she's interpreting that, hey, you have nothing in the natural in order to draw water from this natural well. And verse 12 says, um, uh, 
are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. In other words, the things that you're, you, she came to the end, she came to the place where she's dry, trying to draw natural water to fulfill a thirst. She is a woman that is suffering in silence. She's trying to fulfill, she's avoiding society. She's, avoid, she's avoiding society. She's coming at noon. It's hot at noon in Israel. And the reason she was coming at noon, normally what you would do is you'd come early in the morning because it was cool and the water would be cool and you could get cool water and you could head on back home. But the reason she came at noon was because she had a reputation. She had this inner brokenness about her life where she was isolated. She didn't want to be around the townspeople because she was known in the town. She had a, she had a bad reputation in this, in this area. And so she comes at noon to draw water to fulfill her natural thirst, and there sent a Jew named Jesus encountering this woman and saying, woman, listen, if you drink of this water, you will thirst again. But if you drink of the living water that I'm going to give you, you will never thirst again. He was, he was creating something in this moment. He was setting this woman up for what would be a major encounter. And in verse 13, it says, again, he says, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come, come here to keep drawing water again. She's equating that he's going to give her water to where she doesn't have to come drawing at this well any longer. In verse 27, I've jumped down some verses. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? See, what you have to understand in this moment between these verses, Jesus reads her mail. He tells her. He says, go get your husband. She says, I ain't got no husband. And he said, yeah, that's right, and you get, you've had five husbands, and the one that you're with is not your husband. Like, he reads her mail in this moment. How many know it's an awkward moment? What, what, did, what just happened? Jesus didn't reveal the brokenness to destroy her. Jesus revealed the brokenness to transform her. He didn't reveal that inner part of her, of her void, of her, of her insecurity, of her pride, of her hiddenness, of her isolation to destroy her. He revealed it to transform her. And what the world around us needs is a church that will, will stop putting the world into this judgmental zone and we're pushing the world down and we're not revealing brokenness. They don't want to reveal brokenness to us because they're scared to be judged. They're scared of this, there's this insecurity in them that says, hey, listen, if I tell you this, listen, I, I might, you might not like me because they've ran into a church, there's ran into people that claim to be Christians, yet push down the most desperate people on the planet, and Jesus is trying to communicate to us and to this woman that I will not push you down, I will not stick you into a hole, I will not accuse you, I will not judge you, I will not condemn you, but I will raise you up and set you free and turn you into a world changer. That's what he was communicating. So it goes on to say this, it says, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? The disciples come back very confrontational, right? Like, hey man, what you doing? 
Like, why are you talking to this Samaritan woman, Jesus? He don't even mess with these guys because he knows they're ignorant. Verse 28, it says this. Then leaving her water jar, this is probably the most profound statement in your Bible. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now think about this woman's reputation. She goes back into town after having this encounter. Remember, she went there to draw water with her water pot. Something happened in this moment. Bible says she left it there. And she went into the town and said, come see a man. Now, can you imagine the world and the people? Yeah, yeah, you've had five husbands, and the one you're with is not your own. And, but there was something that had been so transformational with this woman that she says, come see a man that told me everything about my life. And I wonder, listen, I know people that have been in church for 30 years that have never made that statement have never made that statement to anybody. Why? Because we're religious, we're church going, we're rule followers, but at the end of the day, and that's what we expect from others. But listen, when is it gonna come to be a church in the wild that says, I got a well on the inside of me that will, that will, well, that will fill your void, and I'm not looking for you to measure up. I'm just looking for God to come and transform you, and I want you to come see a man, baby. He told me everything about my life, and he will come and transform yours as well. Come see a man that changed me and told me everything. And she says, could this be the Messiah that came out of the town and made their way toward him? Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Jesus wasn't hungry. He was on a mission. Jesus wasn't hungry. He says, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you know not nothing about. He was in his moment. He was filling a spiritual void in this woman's life. And it says, then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? I think it's so natural. Right, Jesus is, Jesus is setting this woman free, and these guys are like, did somebody bring Jesus Nutri-Grain bars while we were gone? Or like, what? why is he not hungry? He wasn't hungry because food wasn't his priority in this moment. His moment, and his moment was he was in his mission. He was in this place, and it says this, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In other words, he was intoxicated on doing the mission and the purpose of God, and that was fulfilling the void in the wife of this woman to see her set free, to lay her water pot down and become the first evangelist prior to the resurrection, that she would become the first evangelist prior to the resurrection that said, listen, come see a man that told me everything. Come see a man that healed me. Come see a man that delivered me. Come see a man that didn't condemn me. Come see a man, a man that set me free. Then he says, then goes on to say this, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I, and Jesus said this, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields for they are ripe for harvest. I believe in this moment, what was Jesus doing? He was taking this Samaritan woman and saying, this is the harvest. He stood her next to him and said, guys, you're still waiting for the harvest to come. This is the harvest. You're declaring, this is the harvest. The harvest is here. This is the harvest. And Jesus is saying, it's right here. The harvest is broken people. The harvest is people that have no understanding of how to fill a spiritual void in their life. Listen, people don't line up to be judged, but they do line up to be loved. People don't line up to be judged, but they do line up to be loved. And here's the bottom line this morning. God created us to make thirsty people thirsty for him. 
God created us to make thirsty people thirsty for him. That's what happened with the Samaritan woman. She became, not her, her thirst in the natural was fulfilled. God spiritually set her free. The void was fulfilled, and then she turned around, and she went. By making the statement, come see a man, she was making others thirsty. She, she, she was identifying with other people's broken needs. God created us to make thirsty people thirsty for him. Matthew 5.13 says this, you are the salt of the earth. If you don't like salt on your French fries, you should probably never eat them again. Come on, somebody. There's something about salt. How many of you like salt? Yes. Salt. All you health people are like, no, don't eat salt. That's bad for you. Don't eat salt. Love you. I'm going to put salt on my fries. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. What you have to understand today is the reason Jesus used salt was in the Bible days is salt was more valuable than it is today for us. We just throw it on our food, right? Or, or, or we put it out on the ice to melt the ice. No, this, is, this, is, this was different back then. He used this analogy because it meant something. See, the Roman Empire used to pay their soldiers with salt. That's how they paid their soldiers. Salt was as valuable back then as gold. It was called this. It was called their uh, salarium is how they called it. This is what they would pay their soldiers. It was called their salarium. The word salt in the Latin, uh, the word sal in Latin means salt. It's the English word where we get our word salary. Can you imagine if your boss came to you today, this Friday? And he's like, you know what? We're changing everything up, guys. Here's some iodized salt. Thanks for all your hard work this week. Here's some salt. Me and you would be like, what in the world are we going to do with this other than put it on our french fries? Come on. What are we going to do with this? We can't pay bills with this. But back then, when a soldier would receive salt, it was a high-paying and complimentive salary for a Roman soldier to receive salt. He then took that very valuable thing, and that's how he would generate funds for his family. It was salt. See, it was valuable back then because they used it to cleanse wounds. One of the main priorities salt was used for was to preserve food, specifically meat. They would, they would salt it up. They put, put salt in it, and it, it would preserve it for long periods of time. And Jesus tells us this. You are the salt of the earth. Church in the wild, you are that valuable that Jesus would call you salt. See, he gives us the picture of the woman that has the void, and then he switches it to the church and says, listen, you are the salt of the earth. Here's the problem. Here's the wound. Here's the void in people's lives, and I've given you the answer. You are the salt. In other words, he's communicating to his church you are the most valuable thing to me and to the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Then he goes on to say this. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And you read that, and some of you may say, I don't even know what that means. Here's what this means. is back then, 
when salt would lose its flavor or its saltiness, what they would do is they would take the salt and it was one of the main ingredients that they used to make their roads. So when they lost its saltiness, they would give it to the people that made the roads, roads and they mixed it into this ingredients and that's how they made their roads. And the key, the key ingredient was salt. Can you imagine that? Just kind of walking down the street and all of a sudden you just get your finger wet and there's no salt, there's no taste. And Jesus said, listen, you are the salt of the earth, but if you lose your saltiness, you're no good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. In other words, you have no purpose. You become a part of the earth. You just become a part of morality where people just walk right over you. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, so be salty. Be salty. Jeremiah 2.13 says this, my people have two sins, committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. In other words, he's saying, listen, don't lose your saltiness. Be salty. Pray for people. Pray for them. Love them, and then look for open doors. Pray for them. Love them, and look for open doors. God has a great plan that we are the salt of the earth. We are the most valuable thing on the planet, the church. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the stats say. I don't care what all the headliners are putting out. I don't care what they're saying about the church in America. I will not listen to squash. I can't handle people talking about the bride of Christ. When you slam the church, you're slamming Jesus. I don't care. Nobody's doing it perfect. Nobody does it right all the time. So let me give you some advice. If you're trashing the church, shut your mouth. Yeah, I'll say it. And the reason I say it that way is because your opinion really doesn't matter. The only opinion that matters is the one that died on the cross for the bride. He loves his bride. You ever mess with my wife, me and you, I don't care, pastor, whatever. I'm going to become MMA fighter. You mess with my wife, I'm going to take you out by the woodshed and handle you for a minute. It might take me a few minutes to get some swings going, but it, I'll get there. <laughs> Why? Because I love my wife. I lay my life down for my wife. I'll drive 19 hours in one day to get what she wants. Is the Lord. Because, because I love her. I lay my life down for her. Listen to me. That's what Jesus has done. So be very careful about what you say about the church. It is the answer. It's God's A-team. It's God's A-plan. You are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And I believe God is moving in his church. I believe God is positioning a remnant. I believe God is bringing revival to his church. And I believe this world will be different because the church rises in this season. And from now on, I believe God's bringing revival and transformation to the church. The Bible says in Matthew 25 in closing, when Jesus comes back, He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Listen to what he says. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on the right, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Listen to these words. When Jesus comes back, here's what he's going to say. He's not going to be predicated on how good you are. Listen to what he says. For I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, 
and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Wait a minute. He's talking from his perspective. God doesn't need food. God, God, doesn't, God doesn't need clothing. God doesn't need drink. God doesn't need this stuff. Why is he talking in this direction? He says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needed clothes and clothe you? When did you see you, when did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did it for me. In other words, Jesus was saying in this moment that when I come, the thing that I'm going to see on the earth is I'm going to see people that are feeding the hungry. I'm going to see people that are inviting the lost in. I'm going to see people that are visiting the lonely. I'm going to see the people that are clothing those that need clothing. I'm going to see people being a blessing in this generation. Why? Because that's what he's after. This is what the church in the wild is, is we are called to fill spiritual voids in the life of people so they come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He puts it this way if you keep reading. He says, then he said to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison you did not look after me. They, will, they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Or thirsty or stranger needing clothes, sick in prison did not help you. He truly said, he will reply, whatever you did not do for one of least of these, you did not do it for me. They will enter into eternal punishment forever. In other words, you didn't live in the God-created purpose for your life. So today, maybe you're a person in this room and you've been trying to fill everything with a void, this void. You've been trying to fill your thirst, your thirst. You've been trying to fill your thirst with one of those wells and one of those things that I mentioned earlier. The only thing that's going to set you free is when Jesus moves in and takes over. He doesn't want a piece of real estate in your life. He wants your whole life. And when that happens, all of a sudden he comes in and he transforms us. He makes us into a brand new person. We leave our water pot we no longer thirst again. We walk into destiny and purpose and into transformation. Revelations 21, six and eight. Listen to God's heart. And I'll just read this verse here. He said, he said to me, it is done. Remember hear that again earlier on? He said, I thirst. And then he said, it is finished. Revelation, he's counting backwards. He's looking backwards. The new Jerusalem is coming down, and here's what he says. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Listen, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. 
He says, those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexual immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and the liars, they will be consigned to the, uh, uh, consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of life. In other words, it's not going to cost you anything. Maybe today you need water. You need a, a spiritual awakening in your life. Maybe you need God to fill the void. It's not going to cost you anything at the beginning. He already paid the price for you. But when you say yes, know this, it will cost you everything. From this point on, when you say yes and you say yes to Christ, I'm not going to give you a Christianity that just gives you ease and through ease of what it means to be a Christian. No, I'm going to tell you what it really means, and it means this. You sell out for him, he'll sell out for you. You allow him to come in and fill that void in your life, he will revolutionize who you are. And he says, it's not going to cost you nothing, that's called grace. He said, just come as you are, broke, busted, and disgusted. You can come to Christ and he will set you free. And so let's close our eyes across the room this morning. As I tell just a, you know, when I was reading the story of Jesus where he said, I thirst, I was reminded of spending days in, in hospice and, and I've seen people in hospice, I have family members in hospice or in the hospital, specifically hospice, they're on the, on the, on, on the way from transitioning from this earth to another world. And there's been times where I've been sitting by someone's bedside and, and, and uh, they'll, they'll be laying there in their bed and, and they'll, they'll make that statement. It's a very faint statement. They don't ask for food, but they ask for water. And, and, and you know, nurses, when they, when, they, when, they, when they take care of patients, they want you to eat, they want you to drink. And one, one of the signs of transitioning out of this world into the next is that you stop drinking. You stop drinking water, you stop eating food. And I think about that, that, that faint cry, of, there's been many times where I've been laying next, or sitting next to somebody and hearing them say, thirsty. It's very faint. They don't have a lot of strength left in their, in their lungs, and they say, I'm thirsty. Maybe you're in this place today, and that's you. You're at that place where you're like, I'm thirsty. I've been trying to fill this void with everything else. I'm thirsty. And today you want Jesus to fill it. If that's you in this place, I'm not going to call you forward, but I do want to pray with you. If you say, Pastor, that's me today. I want to make a decision to allow God to fill my thirsty heart. Just like the woman at the well, I just, I'm at the end, like she was, I'm at the end. I've tried everything and nothing's worked. But if what you're saying is true, then I'm in. And today, yeah, you're gonna have to maybe cut off some relationships. You're gonna have to maybe make some changes in your life, but I tell you this much, it will be for the good. It will be for the, the, for the better of your life. There will be a greater purpose that will rise in your life like never before. And God will connect you to brand new people that will encourage you and walk with you and, and help you and, and help you take next steps to become all that God has for your life. And so if you're in this place, you say, Pastor, that's me. I, w I want that. I want to make a decision to say yes for Christ today. We do me a favor. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you today. You say, that's me. I want to make a decision. I see your hand. I see your hand in the back. I see your hand up here up front. Who else? Anybody else? Maybe if you're watching online and you say, that's me, just put, hit the raise the hand button. Put yes in the comments. If that's you, put yes in the comments. 
Let's all pray this prayer together. We're going to pray with these that raised their hand today. Everybody say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I believe he rose again. And today, I ask him to come into my heart. Make me a new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. Come into my heart. Quench my thirst. Jesus, forgive me for living in sin. Today, I receive your grace. Thank you for making me a brand new creature, brand new person. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap. We had some folks in this room say yes to Jesus, and there's some folks online that said yes to Jesus. Come on, give Jesus praise. That's what this is about. Come on, church. Bible says when one person says yes to Christ, all of heaven is rejoicing. So guess what? There's a party going on in heaven today. People said yes to Jesus. Now listen, church. This isn't the only place this is supposed to happen. The voids are out there. The hungry's out there. Oh, bring them here and we'll help you. We'll help them. We'll help them take next steps to become passionate, thriving followers of Jesus. That's what we do. But I tell you what, there's nothing like sitting across from your friend that has this void that just from a, hey, caramel macchiato right across from each other. And you've been able to share the good news of what Jesus can do in their life. And all of a sudden they say yes, just like those in this room. Listen, church, God's called us to be church in the wild, the salt of the earth. Drinking from the well of living water and then passing it out to everybody we come in contact with. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm about to slosh. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm about to slosh. Look at your other neighbor that was your second choice and say, I'm about to slosh. Look at your other neighbor and say, I look, I feel a little spongy. Come on, come on. Look at your other neighbor and say, I feel a little spongy. And what do I mean by that is when a sponge fills up with water, what happens? It just goes everywhere. It just, it just, you, once it's filled to overflowing, it just goes everywhere. You can't contain it. Listen, that's what the church is going to be in this season. We're going to be sloshing and spongy for Jesus. Come on, somebody. We're going to get so filled with God that we're going to pass out goodness, mercy, grace, love, clothing, food. Come on, somebody. Money, generosity. That's what the church is called to do. And so that's what we do in Jesus' name. If you said yes to Christ today, do me a favor. Stop by our Next Steps area. If you have a friend that you brought or came with you, stop by that Next Steps area. Fill out that card. We have a brand new Bible for you. You need to keep coming. We're going to have small groups kicking off again. Get into a small group. Go to group. Get Hang out with friends that love Jesus and help you grow. Come to church. Uh, get in a group. We're doing all that here and help you grow in your relationship with God. So make sure you stop by there. If you're online, go ahead and follow the prompts. Amen, everybody. Isn't God good? Come on, man. First Sunday in the building and people said yes to Christ. It's going to continue, I'm telling you. It's going to continue. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app, and online at livereallife.com.